notices and preaching today. Uh, another, th- another thing just to announce. Most of you would remember, those of you who've been around for a while, um, Fred and Vanessa Dale from Paris. Do you remember them visiting? Yep, well today Daniel, why don't you stand up Daniel, Daniel's their son, he's on his way passing through, just stayed with us for the night, so the, the last one of the family that hasn't been here is now visited, so there we go, welcome Daniel, he's on the way back to Paris from America, so if you haven't met him, introduce yourself afterwards. I'm going to pray, then we'll get straight into this morning's message. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is true, I thank you that you've already met with us, but Lord, as we look this morning... At your word, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be challenged, our lives and our expectation would be increased and enlarged, and Holy Spirit, you would come and move among us and in us and through us. For the sake of your kingdom, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last while, we've been looking at um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and looking at the um, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We looked at the, what's called the ninefold manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and some people would call that spiritual gifts. And we've looked at that. And um, uh, we're still continuing that uh, this morning. But I'll sort of cap, recap on some of the things, not the details of what they are. But the ninefold manifestation gifts are different from what we would call the gifts of common grace, which are given to everybody. And often, those things are seen as the same thing or lumped in the same um, uh, grouping, which I can see why, because both are given by the Holy Spirit to us, uh, but they are different and vastly different. So the, the ninefold manifestation gifts in um, 1 Corinthians 12 is what we've been looking at, but what is known as the gifts of common grace are more to do with how we've been created So, uh, and our abilities and giftings like administration or leadership or service or all of those other things which are mentioned throughout Scripture as well. And um, those are incredibly important, uh, but they're not what Paul was speaking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They, uh, they are given to everybody. That's why it's called gifts of common grace, in that actually the unsaved and the saved are given those gifts. So some people are incredibly um, administrative. That's the gifting that's been given by God, whether you are saved or unsaved, whether you, uh, uh, some people are, have a gift of leadership or creativity or all those things. And, and those are gifts of common grace that are given to everybody. Because we see in the world there are people who don't know God who are incredibly gifted administrators or leaders or servant-hearted or uh, that... that is still a gift from God because God is the creator of mankind and the universe. And so everything that we have and everything that we are, whether we acknowledge him or not, come from him. Every good and perfect gift comes from God who is above. And so those are the gifts of common grace, and we're told to grow in those, and we can increase in those by study and um, application and everything else. And they increase and they grow And when you become a believer, when you get saved, those don't suddenly become the spiritual gifts. What happens is, is when you get saved, hopefully those are redeemed and are therefore used in a different way because your 
your source is God and you have a relationship with him and they're used for the advancement of the kingdom and in a way that honors him. And so in the world, let me just give this example. At one point in my life, I was in the military and I was an officer in the, in, in the army and there was a very clear way that you had to lead. Very clear way. And that didn't involve relationship. It involved commanding and uh, respect and all of those things. But there's a way to do... And then when I came to church leadership, completely different. If I applied my military leadership style to leading this church, um, I don't know who would still be here. I don't even know if my family would still be here. But it, um, well, some respond to that kind of leadership. And there are times for that kind of leadership. But hopefully that shows you that it doesn't mean that that gift is just lost or suddenly becomes spiritual. It's operated and outworked in a different way because the one that you're drawing from, the one that you're following is Jesus. So those gifts of common grace that often are mistaken or clumped together with spiritual gifts, don't become spiritual gifts when you get saved. they sanctified. They are reignited with a passion for him, for the advancement of his kingdom. And they are so important in the life of the believer. So it's not that they're not important. They're very important. Because we all need to operate in, in, in who God's created us to be, how he's created us to be, so that there's the diversity and the unity and the power of God moving and all of those things. And that's important for the church. And actually, I, I, I personally believe that once we get saved, because we have a relationship with God who created us, we should actually be able to see, and I know it's not always like this, the most creative, the most powerful, the mo- the, not powerful in the wrong way, but you know what I mean, the, the best leaders, the most incredible um, inventors and people who come with all sorts of, all those things, all the different gifts that you can think of. Actually, surely, if we who have a relationship with God are gifted, surely we should excel even more because we have direct access to the source. Not always the case, but not always the case in that it works out like that. We're always the case that we have access to him, but not always the case that it's operated like that. But I think that's what we should be looking at and thinking, actually, the best musicians in the world shouldn't be these crazy people who do things that are so ungodly, should be those who have a relationship with God, who gave that gift, who created them, and gives the brilliance of all of that. And the same with every single ability, technical, whatever it is. But those are gifts of common grace, and they're different from what Paul was speaking of. Both, and, and, and that's why a while ago, at the very beginning, I said there's a difference. And remember, I spoke about... Sometimes the challenge with using the word gift, because a gift, once it is given, belongs to us, and actually the spiritual gifts don't belong to us. They belong to God, and we're the vehicles through whom he works. And, but they are vastly different. What Paul speaks about, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in, Acts, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, I think it's probably more helpful to use the terminology he uses, which is in verse 7, he says, now it's the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Because it's the Holy Spirit moving. It is altogether different. It's altogether uh, 
spiritual, uh, powerful on a different level compared to that. And, and, and it's given by the Holy Spirit. It's given for the common good uh, to whom and through whom he desires. The measure to which it is given is according to him, not according to us. When it is needed, it's dynamic. You can operate through someone in this way today and, and in a completely different way on another day. And so they're altogether supernatural, altogether different from those gifts that are common grace gifts that has more to do with how God has created us. And sometimes I think we need to be careful that we don't lump those together because then we water down the incredible mystery and, I don't know, for want of a better word, the otherness of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit to something that is far more manageable in our thinking. And our expectation then drops, and, our, uh, and we start limiting what God has, can and d- desires to do through us. But we're told we're to desire the, minist- the, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We'd even ask for them. But he's the one who gives them. You see, the, the gifts of common grace, those abilities and giftings, we have a responsibility, and Scripture tells us, to invest what God has given us. So through taking and understanding how he's created us and how he's wired us and, and applying those things and studying and, um, uh, uh, and increasing our knowledge and understanding, we can grow in those things. For example, again, it's easiest to use myself. So I, most of you would know I'm an artist as well as all the other things that we do. And for me to grow in that ability, I need to be doing something every day, creatively. So that I, that because then the skill level increases and the ability increases. And, and, I, and I do this. I search different techniques and I stretch myself in different ways so that I increase that ability. And so those abilities and those giftings that God's given you and, and wired in you are really important. And our response is to be wise with those things and to be diligent in putting into practice and, and applying ourselves and investing in them. And when you invest in those things, it increases. Be faithful with the little and God brings the increase that goes for those. So I'd encourage you, whatever that is, however you've been created, don't water that down. Invest in it. Let God use you. But that's not what Paul was speaking about in 1 Corinthians 12. Because that has to do with us increasing it ourselves. When we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see those manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit through us. No one, as far as I can understand, can increase their ability to do miracles. Because you don't do the miracle. No one can increase their ability to heal because you don't do the healing. See, this is where it's vastly different. And if we look at the ninefold manifestations of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and think, well, we look at them as giftings and ability that God's given us and we try and work, we, what we're doing is we're saying we're taking it onto ourselves and we're saying actually we have a role to play and we do have a role, we'll look at that, and how we can increase that, how we can get better at it, which then puts the focus on man, not God. 
And it becomes the work of man, not the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet it's the work of the Holy Spirit that is altogether different from what we experience. Our response with regard to the gifts or the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 is simply this. To surrender, to be obedient, and to desire. Paul says, desire the spiritual gifts. Especially the greater gifts that build up the church. Remember, we looked at all of those. And how do, we, how do we operate in those things? We're obedient when the Holy Spirit moves. See, it's not up to us to study and learn and go on a course to improve our ability in those things. Yes, we can study and we can learn and we can improve our understanding. But Scripture is clear. The manifestations of the Holy Spirit are given for the common good to whom the Spirit desires, to the measure with which the Spirit desires, when it is needed. And it's dynamic. And so if we limit it, we stop the work of the Holy Spirit in a way that is altogether different from what we've ever experienced before. And usually we do that because... It's too big for us to comprehend, or it's outside of our frame of thinking. And it's much easier to deal with things that we have a frame of reference for than something that is above and beyond, which is exactly what Paul was speaking about. If you read again, and that's why we spent time going through 1 Corinthians 12, all those different things, it's a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Our response is desire, obey, surrender. And, and some would say, well, actually you can increase it by practices, the, practicing the one sense of the word of doing those things. But I wouldn't say that you increase it. I would say that as you step out in obedience, you become trustworthy to God. And then he can entrust you with more. And so it becomes more regular that God would use you in a number of different ways because he knows what he's entrusted to you, you've been faithful with. When he's asked you to do something, you've been obedient. If you think of it in the natural, if I had to ask someone to do something and I entrusted them with something and they didn't do it, I might give them another chance. But probably after the third time, I'd probably look for someone else. Military mind once and then you look for someone else, but <laughs> let's have grace. Why would it be any different when God entrusts, when God speaks, and God says, gives you a word or a picture or something, and you think, well, I'm not going to step out. And God is gracious far more than we are, so he would do it again and again so that we would grow. And we'll look at that in a minute. But what sometimes we view as increasing our ability in these things is actually nothing to do with our ability. We can increase our obedience and therefore are more trustworthy. And therefore we see God move. The other thing is as you're obedient, 
you then learn to recognize the voice of the Spirit. And so when God speaks a, a second time, then you might still be saying, God, I don't know if it's you or not. Remember Samuel in the Old Testament. God spoke, said, he thought it was Eli. And then eventually Eli said to him, maybe it's God. Ask God. Let him to speak. And it's the same thing when God speaks once. Sometimes we might be a bit confused and think, well, I don't know if it's God. I don't know if it's not. But the more we respond, the more we recognize his voice. And so that would appear to some, you could say, well, that's becoming more proficient. Well, it's not. It's recognizing his voice. It's becoming more obedient and therefore more trustworthy. And therefore the body is increased. Uh, the, the impact on the body is increased because it's for the common good. And so you see how these, the manifestation of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 is vastly different from what sometimes we would classify as the spiritual gifting or finding your gifting, everything else, which is to do with how God's wired us. That's why I think sometimes it's more helpful to speak of these in the terms that Scripture uses of now to each a manifestation of the Spirit is given. And because it, it's the Holy Spirit working through us. Our response, obedience, surrender. What was the other one? Desire. Desire the gifts. Desire the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it's dynamic. And, uh, and I've said this many times, uh, probably fairly re- frequently recently, is that we should, our prayer should be, God, use me. I'm available. Use me. But if you choose not to use me, please use someone. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is given so that the whole body would be encouraged and built up and strengthened and that the world would be impacted through this dynamic life of the Holy Spirit working through His church. See, it's the the life of God flowing through us, the Holy Spirit flowing through us that impacts those around us. Does that make sense? But it's all the work of the Holy Spirit through surrendered, obedient believers. Both these and the gifts of common grace are super important. And we need to give our time to both. But we also need to see that they are different. So we don't limit what God desires to do or what God is doing. And it's an incredible mystery. Because it's God. But we created to live in that relationship with Him, but understanding spiritual and physical things. And we can walk in that as the Holy Spirit leads. So let's not water down the mystery of God working. Let's not limit the power and the presence of God to our own understanding or reduce our expectation to minimal. The prayer meeting this morning before, before our, our service, Alan asked the question, because they were leading that, Alan asked the question, what have you come expectant for? Have you come this morning just to have some, uh, uh, sing some good songs, coffee, social, and all of those are fine, but what have you come expecting? Just expecting to encounter God. When we reduce these things to what they're not, our expectation is lowered. Yet, they're an essential and often missing part of church life 
possibly because we watered down, them down to something that they're not. We know that when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, the dynamic that they were living in was that they understood and experienced the gifts and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Because he says, about of these things, you know of these things. And we looked at the very first week that actually when he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, it's about the administration of them. And so they were there. They had these things. They recognized them. They saw what was going on. But they didn't administrate them in a way that was helpful. And again, I think it was last week or the week before, I mentioned in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul says, don't forbid someone to speak in tongues. And so we, and the same thing is, don't over-administrate them out the church. There's this thing of the freedom and the otherness of what God wants to do and the peace and the order that God would have us do it that we need to walk in. So it's not become completely hectic and chaotic like, like the Corinthians, but it's also equally not so restrictive that the Holy Spirit's pushed out the meeting. It's being led by him step by step with the desire and expectation that he would move, that he would in whatever way he wants. And I actually think, no, I don't think, I believe that the way that the God wants to move is probably a lot more chaotic than we think. But it's not chaotic in his view. There's order in this peace. But it's in a way that we've not experienced before. But it comes down to, do we trust him? Do we surrender to him? Do we obey him? Do we desire for him to do whatever he wants to do? So there's that desiring everything of God and wanting to walk and live according to what he's called us to. And the other thing I just want to bring in here, these are about the manifestations of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, but there's also the issue of the fruit of the Spirit. Now I'm not going to speak about that today, but the fruit of the Spirit is equally important. We can't say, well, it's all about this and not about everything else. You see, what we see in Corinthians was they understood or, or experienced a lot of the manifestation of the Spirit, but they weren't operating in a way that was reflecting the gifts of the, the fruit of the Spirit. Because when they got together, it wasn't done in love. There wasn't, it was all these other things that were going on. And you see, the, 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 the manifestations of the Spirit are to do with Him and His sovereign choice. But how that work of God is sustained in us and through us is when we live with the fruit of the Spirit becoming more evident. Because that's got to do with character and the process of becoming more like Christ and how we interact with each other. So that actually when those things are operating, it's operating. Remember how we looked at it? 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, 14. 1 Corinthians 13, it's all the con that whole passage about love is not, can be used, but not to do with marriages or anything else, it's to do with the ministry of the manifestation of the Spirit and the outworking of the gifts. And that speaks of fruit of the Spirit, which is the product of us walking in step with the Spirit and allowing Him to change us to become more like Christ. 
So actually, if, we, if we're desiring for the Holy Spirit to move through us and among us in a way that God wants to do and breaking open, our response in that respect is desire, obedience, surrender. Our response in fruit of the Spirit is desire, obedience, surrender. Desiring to be like Jesus, obedience to what he says, live like he's called us to live and surrender to his lordship and his kingship. So quite simply, our lives as believers comes down to desire, obedience, and surrender with God as the, as the one we worship. And the Holy Spirit moves through us in a way that he desires. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1 to the Corinthians, he says, I, I, I could not address you as spiritual, but as people of flesh. Not because the Spirit wasn't operating, but because of how they were behaving, which has got to do with the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit working in us to transform us so that as vessels we are clean and He works through us. I believe that God is, I'm just trying to see with the time, God is wanting to do and is doing and has spoken about doing things among us and through us over the last while in a way that we've never experienced before. Um, he's spoken that time and time again, most, uh, quite often this year, through various different people. But going away, we've never been, that God wants to move and the Holy Spirit will move in a way that we've never experienced, even this week. And, and th- those words of encouragement have, haven't just come from people in the church. They've come from people that we haven't seen for years. Don't, uh, even this week, I got a message from someone who wanted my number for someone. Anyway, they're on the other side of the world. They haven't been in this church probably about 15 years. Most of you don't even know who they are. I didn't even know they still prayed for us. didn't even know they still remembered us. But they've been praying for us as a church, even though they don't know most of you. And they had scriptures and words that spoke exactly with, in line with what God has been saying that he wants to do and he wants to move. And in all of that, in my devotions, in my praying, in my reading, God's been drawing me in, in, in the context of this area that we've been looking at to the passage of Scripture in Ezekiel chapter 47, which, has to, which speaks of the vision that Ezekiel had, which actually, if you read it, is a very lengthy vision with many different parts. But in chapter 47 speaks about the, a, a, a river coming from the threshold, under the threshold of the, the tabernacle of God, the temple of God. I'm going to read it for you, and then I'm going, make some, uh, I'm going to make some comments on it, because it ties in with this, but it should hopefully stir our hearts and expectation for what God wants to do. Ezekiel chapter 47, from verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faced towards the east, so the same direction that the water was flowing. And behold, the water was trickling out from the south side. Going eastward with the measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. 
Again he measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water, and it was knee-deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist-deep. Again he measured a thousand, and it was a river I could not pass through. The water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in. The river could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river many trees on the one side and the other. And he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be many fish. For this water goes there, and the waters of the sea will become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to uh, Enegelim. I don't know how you pronounce that. Um, it will be the place of the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. And on, the other, uh, and on the banks, both sides of the river, there will be all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water flows from them, uh, because the water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. That passage is paralleled in, in Revelation chapter 22, and you can read that. But some interesting things. It's a river that flows from the temple towards the east. And then he's taken out and the guy measures a thousand cubits. Then they cross. And it's ankle deep. Then a thousand cubits and they cross. And it's knee deep. Then a thousand cubits and they cross. And it's waist deep. Then a thousand cubits and they cross. And it's too deep to cross. But you have to swim and it flows from there to the east to the sea. So I'm just going to go through some of the things. The, the picture and the parallel, because this is a spiritual picture, the temple is the presence in the dwelling place of God. The river that flows from the temple, often we see in Scripture the river refers to the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's the life of God and the power of God flowing. And in that journey, what he's speaking of here, there is a journey. There's a progression. There's a walking with. Scripture tells us that we to walk in step with the Spirit. And often we just think, well, we're just going to... Have you ever, we've taken our kids down to... Um, uh, where's that place down the south? Seaford. That's it. Where, where the river comes into the ocean and we go, go for walks down there and everything else. And, and at certain times, that river outlet is quite deep. And you can go at certain places when it's small, but, but most people, are, well, maybe me, when I say river, I want to cross it and I just want to feel the power of the river, just how I grew up, but anyway. But sometimes the things of the Spirit, we think, well, actually what God wants to do, we need to jump in at that level. And then we don't attempt it because we're too nervous. See, Scripture says that we're to follow the footsteps of the Holy Spirit. We're to walk in step with Him. He never goes too fast and never goes too slow. Perfect timing. 
And you know when you were a kid, you used to do, I don't know if you did, we used to do three-legged races. Two of you strapped together, and then you'd try and run. Big problem if you've got long legs and your partner's got short legs. That's with us, with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who leads. We need to take the same step or stride that he does because he takes the perfect one. And here we see the guy doesn't lead him straight down the river, 3,000 cubits and in at the deep end. He leads him first. It's just ankle deep, experiencing of the move of the Holy Spirit. Then he leads again and he follows because he trusts and it's deeper. You see, it's progression. And if you've never experienced the move of the Holy Spirit, you think, it's too scary. Take the first step. That's ankle deep. But the desire is that we would all be that distance eventually where we're totally carried by the river. Because we can't control it ourselves. We've surrendered to him. So even in that part of the picture, it's a picture of how God leads us into the fullness of the life he wants us in the things of the Spirit, step by step. He doesn't just pull us in and say, come. I had a friend when I was very young whose dad was a a teacher and um, he was a swimming teacher. And how his father taught him how to swim please don't try this. Thankfully, my father didn't do this. He took him to the end of the diving board and dropped him in the deep end. Sink or swim? He swam because he was my friend and was still alive. But God doesn't do that with us. He leads us. And we can trust him. Why? Because he's a loving father. Just like the words came this morning, he's calling, drawing, says the doors are open, come to me. Put your focus on me, come to me. So that's the first thing, that actually it's a progression. It's a journey with the Holy Spirit, and we call to keep in step with Him till it gets so deep that we totally trust Him. That one of the most exhilarating things about a river is if you just float down and let the river carry you. That's where we should be with God. Get to, but you don't do that. You don't take a child and put them in there, or, or even an adult who has never swum before, and say, okay, here we go, just jump in and float. You take them little by little. That's what God wants to do. And each of us on a different part of that journey, and that's absolutely fine. But our desire is desiring the things of the Spirit, obedience and surrender, until we walk in that place. It says that the river flows to the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea, and the waters become fresh. And then on the banks... There's all kinds of trees with all kinds of fruit, which again says that they bear fruit every month. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know any fruit, fruiting trees that would fruit. I don't think they're trees that fruit all year round or trees that in the middle of winter bear fruit. I'm not, I'm not right, wrong. Eh? No. So different. This shows it's supernatural. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the power of God that is out beyond our comprehension. That actually there's the fruit and the life of God that is evident on the banks around. That's for food and for he- the leaves are for healing. But do you know what this speaks of? Where it says that the river goes eastwards through the Arabah to the sea. That region is the waterless, dry region between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. That's the sea he's talking of. 
And it's not a lush green Welsh valley. It's a dry, arid place, waterless. And yet, where God moves, there's life and fruit and healing. And then, where the water hits the Dead Sea, it transforms it, the salt sea, which is lifeless. There are no fish in that sea. It transforms it to fresh water teeming with all kinds of fish as in the Great Sea, which is the Mediterranean. Because the place where he says the fishermen would stand and cast the nets, those are places on the Dead Sea. So here's the thing. Your life, my life, where we live, this town, this nation, the nations of the world, we might look at and think it is dry and dead. But no, when God moves, it's transformed. There's life. God moves, and there's, this isn't dry and dead. In our thinking, we could see that. But God doesn't. A few chapters earlier, in, in, in a different part of the vision, when Ezekiel has the vision of the valley of dry bones, he sees this valley of dry bones. What does God see? The mighty army that it becomes. So we look at our lives and we think, actually these areas seem like they're dry and dead. It could be relationships. It could be your relationship with God. What I'd say is, take the first step into the things of the Spirit and allow the life of God to come and bring life and freshness and wholeness and fruitfulness again. When we look at our town, when we look at our nation, when we look at the nations of the world, yes, there's darkness. But I think it's Isaiah that says, when the darkness, then the light shines bright. That's the river. The picture he uses was from the presence of God in Jerusalem through the dry, arid, waterless land to the Dead Sea in human thinking. But in the spirit and the things of God, it becomes a place of flourishing, of fruitfulness, of teeming with life. Where the, and, and the fishermen with different fish, Scripture often speaks about fish in the context of harvest, of people getting saved. So there's a great harvest. There's a harvest to come, the people to be saved. And where does that happen? Where the Spirit of God flows. It's important that we understand this where the Spirit of God flows, not the wisdom of man or the arguments won. It's the Spirit of God because He brings salvation. Where the Spirit of God goes, people are drawn and there's fruitfulness, there's salvation. And it says, but the marshes and the swamps will be left for salt. We think, well, are those forgotten? I don't think so. You read theologians and they say, well, that's probably because salt was needed for the sacrifices. But what the point is that I want to make is there's that progression in this vision from ankle to knee to waist to swimming. God wants to take you and I on that progression of walking with him, trusting him and experiencing him in a way that we've never experienced before. And our expectation should be, God, 
You're going to do it. You can do it. Because look, he's the, where the river's flowing through a dry, arid, lifeless place to a dead sea. He transforms completely. And so what we see in the physical has actually got nothing to do with what God sees in the spiritual in that respect. Because we can look at our lives and we think, well, there's no hope. Look, it's so dry. But when God's involved, when the Spirit moves, it's transformed. There's always hope. We look at our town, we think it's dry, there's no hope, it's like the Dead Sea. When God's involved, it's transformed and there's teeming with fish. What's our response? Desire, obedience, surrender. When he says go, we go. When he says do this, we do that. When we surrender our will to his will, there are all sorts of things. But where the water enters the sea, it transforms. Where it touches, it transforms. Why? Because it's the life of God that flows through us to those around us. I'm going to end there. That it should stir our faith and our hope and our expectation and our desire for the things of God when we read those things. God is entrusting us with things that we don't even understand at times. But He's good. And He's faithful. And He's trustworthy. And you can trust Him. He's not going to throw you in the deep end. He's going to lead you into deeper waters with Him. Our response, desire the things of the Spirit, desire the things of God. The, the gifts, the manifestations, the fruit, surrender and obey and be transformed so that we would be those fishermen on the edge casting the nets. We would be those who would flourish and see all of the, and experience all of those things. God wants to do that so I'm going to end this morning probably a good thing the printer didn't print because I know they had another nine pages to go that didn't print out we'll do that another time but I'm going to pray and we're going to end and then you can go through for tea and coffee if you want to straight away but I also want to make an opportunity for anybody who wants to be filled with the spirit to come and be prayed for and be filled with the Spirit. We don't do it, God does it. And the Scripture says in Ephesians that we're to be filled and it's, it's a present continuous. It's filled and continue being filled. And there's, a, I'll leave it for another week, but there's so much more to what it means to live as a believer, empowered by the Holy Spirit, than I think any of us have experienced, and some have experienced a lot of things of the Spirit I'm talking about. But our desire, surrender, and obey. And so I'm going to pray, then if anybody wants to prayer, come to the front, someone will pray with you. If, if, that's, if that's not you this morning, that's fine. Please don't feel condemned. Please don't feel guilty. Please don't feel you have to sneak out the back rather than go through. To, just go through for tea and coffee, just quietly, just to honor people being prayed for. But God wants to move. God wants to fill and overflow. And this morning it might be the first step into the river and it's, it's toe deep. It's not even ankle deep for you. That's cool. Or it might be 
so full you can't stand. That's also good. We all are in a different place, but we to respond to God when He calls. There's that picture this morning where that I think Von bought with the doors that were open. God just says, "Come, come, come," so He can transform. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your word that is true. I thank you for your love and your compassion and your grace for us. Thank you that you lead us step by step and you are faithful and trustworthy. And Lord, this morning as we look at these things, Father, I pray that you would help us not to limit or contain the, what you desire to do based on our understanding, our experience, or even because of the fear of the unknown. But God, as we read the word, as we trust you, Lord, I pray that you would lead us on to greater depths of walking filled, controlled, led by your spirit. Lord, where we've done things that have stopped that interaction with you, Lord, this morning we confess and repent of those things and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come. Come and meet with each one of us. Lord, the words that came during the worship of doors that are open, that you knock at the door and you desire to come and be with us, that our focus must be on you, that our victory is in our worship. Lord, we acknowledge all of those things. We receive those things. And our desires to walk more and more in step with you. Filled, overflowing, passionate, fruitful. For your glory and your honor. Come Holy Spirit. And meet with each one of us I pray. In Jesus name. Amen. Rob, if we can just put some worship music on. If you want to go through for 10 coffee, you're welcome to.